Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to challenge you to follow Christ, and to inspire you to lead a consecrated life. Hey, everyone. I realized I had started my theology class and had put out the first two episodes But then this exciting debate happened with Michael Brown and Dale Tuggy on whether or not the Bible teaches that the Father alone is God. So I've decided to just put the theology class on hold for a couple of weeks and crank out a number of episodes on this debate. I'm thinking three or four right now. Then we'll get back to the theology class. Now, those of you who have listened to this debate, and it's been getting a lot of downloads, so if you haven't yet, you might want to go check it out. But are you curious, those of you who listened to it, how Michael Brown thinks he did on the debate last weekend. In this post-debate interview, I asked him about his strongest points, as well as what he thought Dale Tuggy's strongest points were. We talk about his reticence to use traditional Trinitarian language in light of his own unique heritage and ministry focus. I pressed him gently to explain his view on the Trinity in light of some of the confusion that arose during and after the debate. And next time, I'll be interviewing Dr. Tuggy and getting his response. And then after that, Jerry Werewell and I are planning on thoroughly reviewing and rebutting Dr. Brown's opening statement verse by verse. So stay tuned for all of that. But for today, we are going to focus on Michael Brown, and he was kind enough to give me this interview, and I really appreciate that. Now, I do realize, of course, that a number of you may not appreciate me giving Dr. Brown an opportunity to defend his view of the deity of Christ. And if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I end every episode with the words, the truth has nothing to fear. For me, that's not just a tagline. It's how I really believe. I'm not afraid to hear arguments for the deity of Christ or the Trinity or any other alternate position. It's healthy for those of us who are biblical Unitarians to be challenged by passionate defenders of opposing positions. Now, if I'm wrong about Jesus... I want to be corrected. And if I'm right, then hearing another viewpoint shouldn't be a threat. Well, that's enough of a disclaimer. Here now is Interview 50, Trinity Debate Review with Michael Brown. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Glad to do it. Yeah, hey, just uh, talk to me a second about, about it. My goal here is just to do a, a post-debate interview. And no, no, I mean about, about the website. Oh, about the website. All right. Uh, so Restitutio is a podcast, and uh, I also post blog articles. I'm a pastor in upstate New York, and it is dedicated to uh, inspiring people to live out their faith, to understanding the original faith of the apostles is, is somewhat restorationist in nature. You know, so I, I have a, a wide range of topics. Uh, some some overlap with material that you're concerned with, as far as the the sexual ethics. I get into that a good amount, and uh, just trying to help people live out authentic Christianity. I guess would be the tagline. Got it. Awesome. I am a biblical Unitarian, but uh, this podcast is not an issue specific podcast. I mean, I do cover that subject. Yeah, no, that's that's pretty much what I what I thought, but we're good. Yeah, yeah, very glad to do it. Yes, sir. Okay, well, thanks. So, how do you feel the debate went as far as the flow of it, the timing, organization, the promotion, the turnout? Uh, how did you how did you feel about it? 
I'm really pleased with how everything came out. Uh, first and foremost, I, I love the opportunity to present views, have an articulate opponent, and lay things out. So sometimes I'm asked to come on a college campus and take on a controversial subject or something. And I always say my preference is to get someone from the other side so that we can have a debate rather than just hearing my side of things. Yeah. So anytime we can do that, I'm, I'm pleased. I have to say I was a little surprised with folks coming from different states that seemed to be in Dr. Tuggy's camp. That, that was a bit odd for debate. Normally, you just have folks coming locally. Right. And uh, because we didn't do a major promotion, I was invited to another state to debate. Dr. Tuggy said it just wouldn't work in my schedule to fly up just for that. But if he could come my way, we'd do it. So I was surprised. They said, yeah, and we'll videotape it. So a whole crew came. So we announced it in our local church and local social media. So overall, I, I thought the turnout was fine. And I was, I was really pleased with the way the debate went. Because for me, if I was asked to get into a philosophical debate about the Trinity, I wouldn't have done it because that's not my field of expertise. If I was asked to debate church history and the creeds, I wouldn't have done it. Since I was asked to debate what the Bible says, I was thrilled to do it and felt just personally and honestly that if you're just dealing with scripture, there, there's, there's no way you can argue against the eternal deity of the Son. And I come at it not through church history. I come at it through Bible and Jewish background. So my whole approach is going to be different. But I, I really believe that when we started treating biblical passages and getting in depth about biblical passages that from my perspective, the word is just so clear. It, it wasn't a debate against me. It was who's going to accept what scripture says on this. I see. So is that what you would say were your strongest points, the, the biblical exegesis or what would, what would you say to that? Well, I would certainly hope so because I'm not a philosopher. And, and obviously when I was asked a question right at the start that could push in that direction. I, I quite intentionally wasn't going to go in that direction. You know, if someone said to me, are you happy with the definition of, of God as one being and three divine persons? I say, yeah, except I, for decades, I've not used language like that. And I don't think in language like that because of my engagement with the Jewish community and just sticking with biblical text and Jewish background as much as possible. But I felt that to really hone in on key biblical texts and no insult to Dr. Tuggy. Uh, he's obviously very serious about this and as a gentleman. So I, I mean, no insult or disparagement whatsoever, but I think candidly that the opening up of texts and the digging deeper into what the text actually said does expose the, the impossibility of the position he was seeking to espouse. If he had been an Aryan, held views similar to Jehovah's Witnesses, where the sun was the first created being and highly exalted, etc. Then, as much as I would differ with that, I, I think he's got more leg to stand on. The, right. the whole argument against pre-existence and having to twist texts like Hebrews 1 and Colossians 1 and John 1, it's just, it's to me, it's, it's the height of impossibility, just in terms of biblical scholarship. Even when I look at critical scholars that have all different views, they, they still agree on what the biblical authors were trying to say in these key passages. Okay, let me come back to the, what you said there about reaching the Jewish people, and uh, for that reason, not wanting to use what we might call traditional language. Would you say that that's the same sort of thing as like not saying the name of God 
around the Jews? You know, just a sensitivity to their their cultural situation. Oh, I no, I I appreciate that. It's partly that, but it's not primarily that. It's partly that in in so far as a traditional Jew may have very negative views about Jesus himself. When I was in Israel back in May, talking to some very traditional Jews, and they spat on the ground at the name of Jesus. They thought that there's a straight line from Jesus to the Holocaust. They thought that he's some sorcerer and magician who misled Israel through counterfeit miracles and things like that. Uh, And if they hear Trinity to them, that's three gods. You know, look, when Muhammad heard Trinity, he thought it was Father, Son, and Mary. Right. So there there are all kinds of misconceptions. So that's part of it. But the other part, honestly, is, is not being strategic. It's my own background and orientation. I came to faith in an Italian Pentecostal church uh-huh. where basically it was a small church where basically all the members, almost all the members were former Catholics. And we, my orientation was to go from the Bible to today. In other words, we, we didn't have a whole view of church history. I, I started to learn church history when rabbis came to me and gave me books talking about anti-Semitism and church history and the anti-Semitism of John Chrysostom and the anti-Semitism of Martin Luther. And so that's when I kind of had to reckon with church history. And, and when I began to dialogue and interact with rabbis, I wasn't familiar with the creeds. That, that's not something we learned in, in, in our church. So I was just going through what scripture said, what scripture said. And then the more I, I dug into to Jewish thought, and saw various ways where Judaism tried to figure out how the invisible God could be visible, how the untouchable God could be touchable, how the eternal God could work in space and time. Then I began to relate to Trinitarian issues through that lens. In other words, how can I communicate what I understand about the Godhead to my Jewish friends in a language that's intelligible to them? So part of it was if you say Trinity, it can be misconceived uh, in the Jewish community. But part of it also was to say, well, let's, let me just start with the Bible. And which I'd gladly debate this just using the Hebrew scriptures with the rabbi. And, and okay, let's just start there and see what we glean there about divine nature. See what we glean there about complex unity. So, and then let's look at Jewish thought to see where we can build some bridges not to say the early rabbis were Trinitarians, but rather bridges of thought to get them over what I think is a misconception about God's eternal triunity. Okay, so what I hear you saying is that there's a lot of baggage with the the term Trinity that a Jew would read into it and would trigger for them thoughts of Chrysostom's rants against the Jews and, and Luther's later, some of his later statements. You're trying to be sensitive to that in one sense, but also as a Jew yourself, it, it's just sort of an awkward, well, let me ask you as a question, is that just like an awkward phrase to use for you just because of your own unique heritage? Well, understand just the name Jesus has baggage when dealing with many Jewish people. So I, I use that as an example. Jesus has more baggage with a traditional Jew than Trinity, just his name. Uh, many will not say the name. If they say the name, they'll, they'll spit on the floor. Wow. and curse. Huh. Uh, to, to them, it's a curse. That name is a curse. The only time I heard Jesus Christ growing up, and, and I didn't grow up in a, in a religious home, but if my father was mad about something, very rarely he would use that as like mild profanity. Really? So, as a non-believer oh, in Jesus? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. That's no, I know many Jewish believers when they got saved, it took them even years before they could say Jesus Christ because you know, they have to say Jesus the Messiah or Yeshua ah. or something because all they associated with was something negative. So that, that's what I think if your, your listening audience can understand, Trinity is, is one of many issues to unpack in dealing with a Jewish person, but that could not even exist. We would have massive issues in terms of their view of Jesus, their view of church history, their view of, of him being some, some evil person who brought destruction, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah. Uh, look, I was, I was doing a, a lecture debate at Yale University in the early 90s, and we were in a lecture hall, maybe 100 people there, and these two ultra-Orthodox rabbis came in partway through, and at the end, I, I, I gave them the, the, the stage basically to, to go back and forth, yielded to them so we could have a lengthy discussion. And when one of them said a derogatory name for Jesus in a Yale lecture hall, he then spat on the ground because it was so unclean. Wow. One, one rabbi friend of mine, ultra-Orthodox rabbi, said that if he mentioned Christianity to his father, that his father would literally throw up if he said the word. Huh. So there's a, a ton of baggage, and the Trinity issue is just, just part of it. Right. So and this is, this on, is a major focus of your ministry as well, right? Reaching out to the Jewish people? Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, as, as a Jewish believer in Jesus, say for 47 years— from day one, whether I liked it or not, that was the world I was living in. I see. Uh, let, going back to the debate from last Friday night, what what would you say were Tuggy's strongest points? Uh, I would say that he systematically laid out the summary of his arguments to try to make a coherent point that the Bible only focuses on one true God, namely the Father. Once you began to break the arguments down, I I believe they fell apart and were in many ways self-defeating. In other words, if you acknowledge that Jesus is called God maybe seven times, I think he acknowledged potentially in the New Testament that he's worshipped, adored, the object of our affections and prayed to, then you have a second God. You, you, you either, either have one God. When I give all my love, devotion, adoration to Jesus and worship him and honor him, I'm loving God. My affections are not divided between God and, and another. The, the more you follow through on what he says, the, the more self-defeating it becomes. However, I would say that in terms of a lucid summary that he presented those things Clearly, again, I, I believe the argument itself is, is self-defeating, and I was surprised even by his acknowledgement of various things. I thought for sure he can't hold to his position and support, for example, Thomas saying to Jesus, my Lord and my God, in, in uh, John twenty twenty eight, and then Jesus, of course, in the next verse, commending him, like, you finally get it, so now you believe. I thought he's got to try to find some other way to do that. So I, perhaps there was some honesty in dealing with some of the texts that I would say is a strength, but it was self-defeating and that it, it refuted his own position. I know you asked for strengths, but I have to I just be no, as I, candid as I can. Uh, and again, I, I mean no disparagement to Dr. Tuggy, and, and I appreciate him 
wanting to do the debate. And of course, we we both had the same heart. Let's just get it out as widely as possible. We're uh, we're currently uploading the video to our YouTube channel, and as soon as it's out, we'll we'll blast it out everywhere we know how. Great, great. What do you wish you could have said, but you didn't get a chance to because of the the time constraints? I would have liked to develop the Old Testament material even more, arguing for the pre-existent son as the best and most natural understanding of, of various biblical texts and the way to resolve the issue of God not being seen and yet clearly being seen. I would have liked to do that, although the New Testament text is so overwhelmingly clear. And once I was discussing things with some of, of Dr. Tuggy's associates or followers afterwards, when I realized that all of them that I spoke with held to conditional immortality, then that, uh, that would have enabled me to, to go right for some issues early on. You know, words, did, did the Son of God die on the cross? Well, well, yes, as, as, as much as I understand death, you know, 1 Corinthians 2 says they crucified the Lord of glory. Obviously, a man, glorified man, is not called the Lord of glory. They, they crucified the Lord of glory. But my understanding of death is that it's a physical thing. Spiritual death is for someone not saved to be separated from God so you can be dead while you live. And then death otherwise is a physical thing. And the, the spirit either goes to be with God or separated from God, depending on whether the person knew the Lord or not. So in, in that sense, the spirit, the human spirit doesn't die at death. The physical body dies. That's what death is. So, I mean, we got around to that point. Yeah. But the, uh, you know, the idea that I was saying the son of God didn't die, I, I have to listen back to see what I said. Yeah. But the, the whole point I was making was that the, the spirit of a human being doesn't cease to exist at death or go into a soul sleep state. So perhaps knowing that that was the viewpoint of some of the folks up front, I, I could have given a sharper answer more quickly uh -huh. uh, to, to that point. And then for whatever it's worth, I mean, I'm just, I spotted first the audio. I saw a link to the audio on your site. So I was telling people if they want a good audio to listen to before the video is up to go there. So I noticed some discussion and somebody, you know, different ones accusing me of being a modalist. If I was a modalist, I'd shout it out to the whole world. I'd say, I believe that there is one eternal God who manifested himself as father, son, and spirit, but it's not actually father, son, and spirit simultaneously and truly or eternally. I'd, I'd shout it out to if that's what I believed. I'd shout it out. It might even be a little easier in Jewish outreach. But somebody said he's a one-self trinity. I don't even know what the thing is. I had to ask a friend, what do they even mean by that? So I don't know that I could have made myself any more clear to say that there's, there's one God who has eternally existed as, as he's revealed himself to us as father, son, and spirit. I don't know I could make that any more clear, but I guess because I don't say it in some later formulation and because I push back against the arguments, the only counter argument is to accuse me of something that I don't believe. That's that's what it seems. Yeah, it seems like he was, Dr. Tuggy was trying to figure out what your position was and there was some confusion. I don't know if he ever pegged you because, the, the yeah, the whole modalism subject did come up and... What I heard him say was that theologians typically 
refer to modalists as someone who believes that God reveals himself as the Father, then as the Son, then as the Holy Spirit, whereas you're, you're revealing as all three from eternity. When I say as that revealed, clear. I mean, we, all that we know about God is what he's told us in the Word, right? In other words, if he hasn't told us in the Word, then we can't address it. So in the Word, he's revealed himself to us as Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father sends the Son. The Son sends the Spirit. If you want to call them persons, just for that sake, three distinct persons, one God, one essential being. I'm, I'm perfectly fine. And if someone says, well, was he always in eternity? Did he relate to himself as Father, Son, and Spirit? That's God's business. All I know is in the Word, that's what he tells us. And Jesus speaks of the glory that he had with the Father before the world began. Let me just say, and by the way, sure. anyone reading volume two of Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, which I know Dr. Tuggy did because he referenced, and, and then others have tried to quote me as refuting me, which to me is not Dr. Tuggy, but others, it's utterly dishonest to do that. Uh-huh. I, I make it very clear. And I refer in even the very first objection, Jews don't believe in the Trinity. We believe in one God, not three. Uh, when I explain it, I then say later theologians called this the Trinity. God is a triune one. But the word Trinity is not found anywhere in the New Testament. It may confuse the issues for you. So I'm talking to a Jewish person and saying, so let's work it through. But what I describe is what later theologians refer to as the Trinity. So the thing I'm not going to do is get, is get forced into using descriptions and language that are not in the Bible. Let others debate that and feel free to have other philosophers or church theologians debate that. I'm just going to state things as clearly as I can in Scripture. But when we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, those are not three manifestations of one God or three parts of one God. There is a distinct Father, distinct Son, distinct Spirit, and Father, Son, and Spirit are all God, equally so. Okay. Yeah, this was definitely a difference between the two of you where it, it never really got clarified. I, I'd be curious to hear what Dr. Tuggy says if he, you know, because he is such a specialist on various ways of thinking about the Trinity. I'd be curious to hear what uh, what he thinks he's pegged you as, <laughs> and if it agrees uh, with what you just said there. Um, I, I, yeah, I might not even recognize the pegging. Just, I, I mean, when I've been falsely pegged, I only recognize that I'm being falsely pegged because I've never heard of the term and and when explained to me, it, it doesn't comport with with what I believe. I'm being dead serious about the right. one self yeah. trinitarianism. Like what what is that? That being said, I I have to say that one of the biggest surprises and major disappointments was that yeah I I looked at a lot of scripture, but in a way different to Dr. Tuggy, he summarized and went through an argument. Right. I quoted verse after verse after verse after verse. Right. And everything I quoted stood in context. If I was going to machine gun, I could have quoted, uh, just cited three or four or five times as many verses. I was accused of machine gunning, but that was, that was my last intent. I tried to give a coherent, developed argument and quote scripture to let the word speak for itself. I was on my knees, very jealous for the reputation of the son, very grieved over the denial of who he was and thereby the demeaning of, of his sacrifice for us. And I was really praying that God would allow me to glorify the son to the Father's honor that, that night. And what disappointed me was that in the rebuttal time, there was plenty of time to tackle four or five, six, 
seven key verses, spend a couple minutes on each one. You have 12 minutes to rebut. And yet to have most of the rebuttal devoted to other things and key text, major texts that are so strong from John, from John 12 to John 17 to other key texts to, to not even have them addressed. And then Hebrews 1 addressed in ways that every solid exegete of Hebrews would tell you is, is utterly impossible and implausible. That, that to me, I would say was the biggest disappointment biggest along with what seemed to be a complete lack of familiarity with other key arguments. I thought, wow, this is not my one subject. There are a ton of things that I cover although the issue of God's nature is important to me. So that that I was surprised and disappointed in, and I don't understand Dr. Tuggy's strategy in that since the whole discussion was what does Scripture say? Right, right. Well, uh, I'll be interviewing him next, and we'll certainly uh, want to know what he says about that. Let me ask you this. How important is this subject to you? You've already mentioned that you're very jealous for the glory of the Son, but what would you say as far as your average Christian sitting in a pew, why should they care? Why should they engage theologically or in a, in a more deep manner with this belief in the deity of Christ? I mean, do you think it's necessary for salvation? You know, wh- what would you say on the importance of the subject? God is the judge of who is saved and who isn't saved. And Paul mentions God having mercy on him in 1 Timothy 1 because he acted in ignorance and unbelief. So we'll leave that to God in terms of judging who is and who is not saved. But my grave concern is that 1 John tells us whoever does not have the Son does not have the Father also. I think we'd all agree that if Jesus was just a regular mortal who sinned, that he could not be the Savior of the world. Uh In my view, I do not understand how he could fulfill the roles that Scripture gives him if, in fact, he was just a glorified man. I I do not understand how he could be before all things, and in him all things hold together, and everything be created through him, and then him be the object of godlike adoration and worship if he is not the eternal son. To me, it's a very dangerous and fundamental denial. So just as I look at Jehovah's Witnesses as being a cult and question how anyone could be a Jehovah's Witness and truly be born again, the same way I would, I would view Dr. Tuggy's beliefs as, as, a, as a cult that is denying fundamental biblical truth and truths about Jesus that were clearly held to by, by some of the disciples of the apostles and even recognized as such by the, the outside world. So I, I look at it as extremely dangerous, but putting that aside, I first and foremost look at it as an incredible affront to the sun, as an cr- incredible denial of, of his eternal glory and importance, of his incredible downplaying of, of what he did on the cross. Again, they crucified the Lord of glory, not a glorified man, but the Lord of glory. That to me is, is grievous. You know, it, it, it would be as if you worked your entire life, you know, scraped together two cents and worked 18 hours a day to store up in an inheritance for your child. And, and then when you passed and gave it to them, they, 
they thought nothing of it and squandered it in, in, in a minute, you know, lost it all in Las Vegas. It would be such an insult to your effort and what you did and your sacrificial love. So that I, I'm more jealous for that than anything. And, and I don't believe that on a relational level that it's possible for someone who holds to these beliefs to enjoy the intimacy they're supposed to have with Jesus, the deep connection between Jesus and the Father, how in the book of Revelation, the 22nd chapter, the most natural reading of the Greek is, is that there's one throne for God and the Lamb and that we worship and serve Him, one God, God and the Lamb. So relationally, I, I think it's tragic in terms of what's missed. In terms of adoration and worship, I think it's tragic in terms of what's missed. And as far as salvation, yes, I'm, I'm gravely concerned for those who reject the, the deity of the Son. Absolutely. But let God be the judge. I'm not saying that, that Dr. Tuggy right. is, is hellbound. That's, that's God's business, not mine. I want to come back to the, this statement you just made about, um, and you made it several times in the debate. What was this text? In Revelation 2, you serve him, the God and the Lamb, and you, and you make a big point that it's a singular pronoun there, him. Am I saying that right? Yeah, so Revelation chapter 22. Oh, 22, verse, sorry. Yeah, Revelation chapter 22, it mentions in, in verse 1, the angels showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So there's one throne of God and the Lamb. Earlier we may have had two, now we have one throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. So there's one throne and one being that's worshipped. Worship them, but Oh, okay, him. so that's the hymn you're referring to in verse 3. Yes, sir. And then verse four, they will see his face and his name will be on their forehead. So the notice it's, it, it, there's no confusion because it's God before the lamb and, and yet it's him following. You know, you might've argued it's the throne of the lamb and of God and it's two different thrones. And then when it says him, it just means God, but the order throne of God and of the lamb, the servants will worship him. They'll see his face and will be on their foreheads. I mean, other other scholars on the deity of Christ, Murray Harris and others have pointed this out. So that, again, was an argument I assume Dr. Tuggy would be intimately familiar with. Yeah, I, I've never heard of it myself. It sounds like you're saying here that there's one individual, one person, God and the Lamb are one person. I think that might have been the cause of all the confusion with this one self-business. One do, being. Do you see what I'm saying? One being. Yeah, yeah, but a no, personal but pronoun. God, God is what God is one being throughout Scripture. You may have verses where God is referred to in, in the plural, but maybe. And and I said it as maybe, like Genesis one and Genesis three and Isaiah six, you know, or, or Genesis eleven. Let us make man in our image. But as as I mentioned, it's not just let us make, but our image. Our who's the our? Are we made in the image of God and the angels? So Genesis one twenty six can support a Trinitarian viewpoint. You could argue for it. Genesis 3, the man's become like one of us. Genesis 11, let us go down. Isaiah 6, who will go for us. So is that plural of deliberation? Is that plural of majesty? Or is that reflecting Trinity? Could well be. But otherwise, God is not addressed in Scripture in, in the plural as they or we outside of those potential verses. God is addressed as, as he, him, right. he, yeah. him, he, him. So right. one being, three persons, one being. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm trying to square on this verse here, Revelation 22.3. It says, we'll worship him. 
him is yeah. a personal pronoun. It's not a, 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 it's not referring to a substance or an essence or a being. It's referring to a person. That's what a personal pronoun does. So I think that's why there was all this confusion about the one self uh, assertion. Right, but, but that that to me means, and again, I mean, I mean, no insult whatsoever. But anyone that could say that doesn't understand what all Trinitarians believe that it's one God. We refer to Him, we refer to Him. We worship Him. We worship Him. We worship Him. And, okay, so you're saying that the hymn refers to the three persons. Well, here, God and the Lamb doesn't or mention the two, the spirit, okay, God the, and the Lamb. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the, I, I, I think that is that is probably one of the central issues of confusion here, because when I think when I the way I understand personal pronouns is that they refer to persons, not to being right. or or some sort of abstract like humanity in general or whatever. So I think that's where I'm. Maybe others are clear on this. Maybe it's just me, but it seems a little confusing. No, I, I, I think the confusion. I don't think the confusion is yours alone. I think the confusion is that you understand Trinity a certain way, and then put that false understanding on Trinitarians, and when we respond with biblical concepts, it's confusing. And again, I, I mean no insult. I don't mean you're not. Obviously, Dr. Tuggy is a very intelligent man and a thoughtful man. And if it was a philosophical debate, then, then I wouldn't have debated him because I'm not a philosopher. You know, let him debate, you know, a, a, a gifted Christian philosopher. But to me, there's no ambiguity. I, it's the rarest of rare that I'll ever hear a Christian refer to the Trinity as them. It's the rarest of rare. So when we worship God, here in the, it, we, we baptize in the name of, not names, but in the name of, the Father, Son, and Spirit. So yes, three persons, that's distinct, one being. And we call this one being him, he. So that's that's what we worship, one God, one being. And to I, I think the problem is that there is this human effort to try to make God fit into our little brains. My brain short circuits at the concept of God existing eternally. Right. I, you know, it's like, I know everything has a beginning. So I know conceptually it's true. I confess it is true, but I can't wrap my brain around it. Right. And I just bow down and worship the eternal God. Yeah. The, the, the same here. But would you say, uh, just out of curiosity, that you could use a contradiction to define God? I mean, I understand God being paradoxical, you know, like his mercy and his justice, for example. There's, there's a paradox there, but it's not a contradiction. You wouldn't hold that God contradicts himself, or some language can be contradictory about God, right? I don't think anybody thinks that. No, but, but paradoxical. Look, I could press you on mercy and justice, and, and, and you end up with a contradiction. In other words, if I wanted to use the anti-Trinitarian logic about other aspects of God, I could make everything into a contradiction. But if you say, rightly understood, they're paradoxical, or I would just better say transcendent, great. I think the more we understand about God, the more transcendent we recognize him to be and the more we get on our faces and worship. But it's not the slightest difficulty to me to understand there's one God, one God only, the creator of the universe, and he is Father, Son, and Spirit. I, I don't have any issues, struggle with that. And in fact, as I quoted Professor Benjamin Summer in refuting Dr. Tuggy's usage of Dr. Summer, he says, when rightly understood, there's nothing un-Jewish about the Trinity, that it has biblical precedent and it has precedent in later Jewish thought. Why? That's because everyone's 
wrestling with the same issues of how the internal invisible God can appear in time and, and how the transcendent one can become imminent. And, and we have the answer for it in God's triunity. Well, thanks so much for taking the time out. Just have one last question. Uh, would you debate this subject again? I'm not sure I would debate Dr. Tuggy again. Uh, I, I think we had our debate and got our information out for others. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure when your podcast will air, but on the day we're recording it, in a few hours from now, I've, I've got a, an open uh, phone day for Unitarians to call in. If, if I feel it's a fruitful day, we'll do it again for further discussion. Um, I, I, Dr. White and I debated Anthony Buzzard and Joseph Good on this, and, and that video has been out. I, I think the biblical evidence on that is, is quite decisive. I think the biblical evidence on, on this was quite decisive. I'd be happy for Dr. Tuggy to engage a Christian philosopher that wanted to engage him. That, that could be enjoyable. Uh, if he wanted another go just exegeting biblical texts with me, that we agreed on, on uh, five biblical texts that we were going to exegete in depth, that might be something that I'd be willing to do. The, my, that's that's my a really is, great idea about limiting the number of texts, uh, because then you can go really in depth on them. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm uh, just in that general, that's something. a good idea, I think. Yeah. And I, and I've done that, uh, in times past, Dr. White and I, for example, debated predestination and election, and we each gave text to the other. So here are his key texts. So he's going to exegete them. I'm going to exegete them. Then we cross-examine each other. Then I gave him texts. So we did that over a period of several hours on a, a couple of broadcasts on his Dividing Line show. Something like that I'd, I'd be open to. For me, though, uh, we get lots of challenges to debate on lots of subjects. And, and I'm in a lot of different areas. I know Dr. Tuggy's big as well, b busy as well. So I don't mean that I'm more important or it's just I'm going in a lot of different areas. So I need to have a good reason to, to do another debate. If, if I had the opportunity to debate a rabbi every week with non-believing Jews in the audience, I would try to do it. Uh, certain other things I debate, but others, we get challenges sometimes by the day to debate different issues. So we have to be more targeted. But if there was an agreement, let's exegete X number of texts, and that's all we're going to do, and, and that's the whole focus of it, and we each are going to supply you know, four or five texts to, we go back and forth on or something like that, that would be something that, that could be fruitful. Because to me, again, and I think Dr. Tuggy agrees, the ultimate question is, what does Scripture say? Yeah. And if it makes perfect sense to us, if we can explain it in philosophical terms or not, is really secondary to that. And I very much appreciate Dr. Tuggy uh, and his team taking the initiative, flying in at their expense, providing video at their expense, uh, doing everything in a, in a very honorable way. We did our best to host and, and do things as professionally as we could. So I, I, so many people want to run and hide. So many people don't want to discuss issues. So I really appreciate them doing that. I don't have the ability now in my schedule to stop and listen to every podcast he's going to do about this or follow-ups and things like that. And so we'll, we'll leave that ongoing battle to, to others as we move on to other things. But very much appreciate, appreciate what you're doing to get both sides out in the midst of our differences. Right. And I think we can agree in praying, God, may your truth triumph and may we have the courage to follow your truth wherever it leads. Amen. 
you know, that's uh, the tagline for this podcast is the truth has nothing to fear. And uh, so I, I am in hearty agreement with what you said there. Thanks so much for your time today, Dr. Brown. My, my joy. Thank you for your time. Well, that's it for this interview. What did you think? Come on to restitutio.org and look for Interview 50, Trinity Debate Review with Michael Brown, and leave your comment. I know that Michael Brown has been on Restitutio, especially in the last episode with the debate, and he's responded a couple times there. So he may even check out what you have to say. We've had phenomenal engagement on our last episode, and there are really, quite frankly, too many comments there to read out here. But if you're interested, come on to restitutio.org and you can see what people are writing on both sides of the issue. Next time, we'll have a debate review with Dale Tuggy, where he can give his perspective on how everything went. And I, uh, I don't have to tell you that it's going to be a very different perspective than what you've just heard here. And then after that, stay tuned for a thorough refutation of Brown's opening statement with Jerry Weirwell. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll catch you next time. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.